All right, well, good evening and welcome. We're in the book of Job, and if you want to make your way there, we're going to pick it up at uh, chapter 22, and so hopefully you can make your way there, and let's go before the Lord and we'll pick it up there. Father, we again come to you tonight and ask that you would just um, move in our hearts and in our midst as we look at your word. Lord, speak to us, and uh, Lord, just reveal all that you want to show us uh, here in the book of Job tonight, Lord. We thank you for your love and your plan and all that you do in our lives, Lord. Just bless this time, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Job chapter 22. And so this Sunday we're back to, um, we just left off with our um, uh, prophecy update. And so uh, we did the five parts. And if you missed last Sunday, it was a good uh, wrap-up of everything. And so I encourage you to listen to it or watch it uh, online on the website or Facebook, YouTube, however you choose to log on, um, ccwatsonville.com, ccwatsonville.com, and for Calvary Chapel Watsonville, you'll look it up and check it out. I think it's uh, worth uh, listening to or watching. So, And then we'll start in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this Sunday, so... Rolling into 2 Corinthians. Okay, so Job chapter uh, 22, and we are having um, the third and final round. Remember, Job's three friends came to comfort him. Uh, they ended up becoming great critics, and then each one would talk uh, one at a time. Job would respond, then the next one, Job would respond, then Job, the next one, and then Job would respond. So they did that, they're doing that three times. Uh, we're in the, the, the third round uh, of these, and tonight we'll go through pretty much, uh, well, we'll go through all of those that are um, his three friends, and then Job's going to continue on for about six chapters, I believe it is, him just talking, another gentleman's going to kind of come in, and then the Lord's going to interrupt and wrap us and close us out. So again, um, we're in chapter 22. And you notice they're speaking a little bit shorter each time. Uh, there's not much left to say. They're kind of repeating what they have said and, you know, kind of making it worse on Job. Before they were kind of just making general accusations and they were getting more specific and mean. And then they were mean, specific, specific, mean and nasty, even though they, uh, you know, couldn't come up with literally specific sins. But they, you know, accused him of uh, pretty, pretty wrongdoings. Um, and that's why all this was happening to him, which is completely wrong. It wasn't at all, but yet they want to stick with their wrong conclusion. And that's one of the great lessons we learn here. So verse 1 of Job chapter 22 says this, Then Eliaphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God? Though he who is wise may be profitable to himself, is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous? Or is it gain to Him that you make your ways blameless? Now, Eliaphaz brings up an interesting question. Does God gain anything when you are good or when you are bad? I mean, just think about that. What does God gain by mine or your or Job's or anybody's actions. Um, 
And the question is, can a person be profitable to God? Um, you know, can you be of value? That's what they mean by that. Can, you know, is a, can a person be of value to God? That's, that's what he's asking here. And, and does God gain anything when a person does something good or does something bad or lives good or lives bad or anywhere in between? It's a very interesting question. Now, Eliaphaz had a view uh, uh, that God was, uh, was distant. You know, he kind of spun everything up, spun it all into motion, and then he kind of stands back and lets it you know, unspin, if you would, um, you know, kind of like a, a wind-up car. You wind it up, and, and then, you know, you let it go, and it goes out to the spring, you know, runs out and is expanded all the way. Um, and, and his view of God is kind of like that. You know, he wound everything up. He put these uh, laws, if you would, into place, in particular with what we're looking at, is that, you know, you do good, you get rewarded, you're blessed. You do bad, you get punished, and bad things happen to you. And so that was his view of a distant God that kind of put everything there, which we know is absolutely not true. Uh, he's not distant. He's not winding things up and letting it go and see how everything plays out and then he'll see us, you know, after we die or something. Not at all. But again, it still is a good question. You know, are we profitable to God? Now, if I were to stop you and ask you that, or if we had time to ask everybody and get their opinion, uh, uh, what would you say? You, you know, what would you, what would you say if we are profitable to God? Are we valuable to Him? And of course, if we think about it for a little bit, it amazes me that we are important to Him, that we are profitable, that we are valuable to Him. Um, yet, we can do nothing without Him. Uh, it, it, that amazes me. We are important, we are profitable to God, and, and yet we still can't do anything without Him. You know, He leads us, guides us, gifts us, provides opportunities, all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, uh, we can witness, um, you know, it's like this. If we could go out and witness and share the gospel with somebody. Let's say we went down to the local Starbucks or something and started sharing the gospel with some people down there. Um, we could do that, but without the Holy Spirit, um, it's just a no-go, right? Nothing is going to happen. We, we need the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and that's what's amazing is that we are important, we are valuable to Him, yet we can't do anything out without Him, yet the Lord gives us the idea, the ability, he goes before us, he uses us, and then even more amazingly to me is he rewards us. So when Eliaphaz asks this question, can we be of value to God when we do good or, you know, in some way do bad, you know, the question is we are valuable to him. Yet we need him for everything, and he provides everything, whether you know we choose to acknowledge that or not, but he gives us our gifts, talents, abilities, and created us with how we are, and then gives you know gifts to, to, to those, those spiritual gifts that we've talked about, uses us, prepares everything, sets it all up, and then when, we're, when we do it, we're rewarded. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Quite a different view than Eliaphaz had um, of the Lord, but yet... You know, what we know, it's a pretty amazing deal. Well, verse 4 said, Is it 
because you fear, uh, because of your fear of him, that he corrects you and enters into judgment with you, is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? So again, Job, you're not really valuable to him. Uh, you know, he really, uh, you know, you think you're good and all that stuff, but it really doesn't uh, affect him that much. And the reality of it is what you really are before God is you're the world's biggest sinner, and that's why all this is happening to you. You know, you're getting judged, you're being corrected because uh, your wickedness is great and your iniquity is without end. You know, you're the biggest sinner and you keep on sinning and it doesn't end. Imagine saying that again. Remember, let's put us back. You know, we read the words and we kind of forget the, the setting sometimes. You know, maybe that picture gives us some reminder up there, but... You know, Job has lost everything. He has lost his children. Uh, you know, for practical purposes at this point, he has lost his wife. She doesn't really enter the picture in here until the very end. She was just briefly in, and her advice was to curse God and die. And then he's afflicted. You know, he loses all his money, all his respect, everything he had. And then now he's also has, you know, this horrible disease, we would say today, horrible effects from this disease and and not even recognized by his friends when they first saw him. And, and he is in the lowest of the low states, really. I, I don't know if too many people could be in a worse position than Job. And then this guy has to come up and say, the reason you're like this and all this happened to you is because you're the world's biggest sinner and man, it never ends. I mean, zero love Besides being all wrong, you know, zero comfort. As a matter of fact, it's just, you know, stabbing him in the heart, kicking a guy when he's down, we'd say. That's his assessment because that's what he thinks. God blesses the good, punishes the wicked. That's the way it works. It always works that way. And now he's going to give some examples of why he's the biggest sinner. Uh, verse 6, For you have taken pledges from your brother for no reason. You stripped the naked of their clothing. You have not given the weary water drink. You have withheld bread from the hungry. But the mighty man possessed the land, and the honorable men dwell in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden fear troubles you. Or darkness so that you cannot see, and abundance of water covers you. I mean, hear his friends. Remember, these are the guys, arguably, that are the closest people to Job, probably outside of his family. I mean, these are the guys that took their time to go visit Job and, and encourage him, uh, you know, really, probably what they had in mind, but they did it. They sat with him for seven days without saying anything because they were so blown away by what had happened and how he looked and all this. And, and these guys, you know, again, are probably the closest people to him outside his family. And, and they, I imagine they knew him very well. But rather than go on what they knew, which was they knew Job was generous. They knew Job helped people out. He didn't take advantage of widows or of uh, orphans or people that were down and out or the poor and all those kind of things. As a matter of fact, 
He did quite the opposite. Even the Lord, of course, up in heaven said that. You know, he did all that. And, and you have to think, these guys knew that and witnessed that and were a part of that. And yet, because their thinking was stuck in, this is the way God works, they couldn't even get past what they really knew. They had to stick and defend this terrible losing and wrong position. It's so, you know, it's a terrible thing to do is when you really get stuck and nope, that's the way I think, that's what I believe, that's what I want to do, that's what I think, and a person leaves no room for anything else, especially when things have to do with the Lord, you are just heading down the wrong path. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times in my life I stubbornly, you know, stuck on something or held on to something or thought a certain way or believe this about something, you know, when you really have, uh, you know, that's a very, very infrequent, probably, position to have on the things that go on in this world. Now, obviously, on the, the important foundations of faith, of course, we're that way, but, you know, just when we deal with people in situations and circumstances, you know, to the point where they threw out what they know and observed about Job because it didn't fit with what they thought was happening with Job. And again, you know, you did all these terrible things and, uh, you know, that's the reason for this, which was, again, quite the opposite. It's just so sad. They're so stubbornly stuck in how they think and they're not going to change from it. Well, verse 12 says, Is not God in the height of heaven and sees the star, uh, highest stars? How lofty they are. And you say, What does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds cover him so that he cannot see, and he walks above the circle of the earth. Will you keep uh, to the old way which uh, wicked men have trod, who were cut down before their prime, whose foundations were swept away by blood? They have said to God, Depart from us. What can the Almighty do to them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad, and the innocent laugh at them. Surely our adversaries are cut down, and the fire consumes a remnant. Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive, please, the instruction of his mouth, and lay up his words in your heart. So as he goes down, now he's going to describe, you know, uh, God's position and try to back up his position. But I want you to notice at the end of verse 14, what I find very interesting. Um, so, you know, most people believe, and, I, and I'll put myself in that category, and there's a number of reasons. We won't get into them necessarily tonight, but... You know, most people believe that this was Job was the oldest book in the Bible. In other words, it was the first one uh, recorded and God had recorded. And then eventually he'll give the law to Moses. Uh, he'll give him, even before that, he'll tell him about creation and Genesis and the forefathers and all that. He'll fill in the details of that. But, you know, a, a lot believe that Job was, you know, written long before that. And, and you notice something about the earth. Um, 
you know, and it, it, this, it'll, some of them will say the circle of the earth. It, you know, it just kind of debunks that whole thing where the, the earth is flat. You know, there was so long people were thinking it, you know, it was flat and, uh, you know, but the Bible talked about it being a circle long before that. Just throwing that your way and you can think about that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what, what Eliaphaz is, uh, uh, is saying here is that, you know, there are people, and, and Job, you think you can get away with anything because you really don't believe that there's a God or that he isn't interested or he doesn't care. That, that's what he's saying here. The reason you know, all this is happening is because you've lived your life like there isn't a God or that he is at least not interested or doesn't really care. And it, it's so wrong. Job was quite the opposite of that. But again, the way they were thinking how God works with people is this. You do good, you get good. You do bad, bad comes your way. You know, like people think about karma or, uh, you know, people think of the Lord, you know, as a good luck charm. And they don't want to, they know he's up there. They don't want to know too much, but they don't want to get on the wrong side of him. And so they'll do religious things and, you know, do religious things to kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, be on the good side. And so hopefully that'll be a defense against bad things happening to him. And, and, you know, that's, you know, what Job's friends were pretty much and saying. And, you know, Job, you just don't care, which is, of course, just the opposite of Job. And the other problem is that they knew Job wasn't like this. But again, they're digging their heels in because they they know they're right, and they're not going to listen to anything else, even though, even how crazy and far out it is. And so the solution is, your sins cause you so much pain, right? All you need to do is to turn to the Lord. Now, again, there's truth in that, and certainly that's true. You know, this world we eat, you know, chew you up and spit you out. There's a lot of pain that we cause ourselves by the way we live or do or think or act or, or all those things. And, you know, it does chew you up. It will wear you down. It will, you know, suck the life out of you. And we do need to turn to the Lord. And there's truth there. But that's not the case with Job. He already had turned to the Lord. He was living for them. But they're digging in their heels. Nope. You have to be a rotten sinner because all this is happening to you. Well, let's finish up with Eliaphaz here. Verse 23, If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents, and you will lay up your gold uh, in the dust, and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver, for then you will have your delight in the Almighty, and lift up your face to God. You will make uh, your prayer to him, and he will hear you, and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing, and it will be established for you, so light will shine on your ways. Verse 29, when you are cast down and you say exaltation will come, then he will save the humble person. He will even deliver one who is innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands." 
And again, what he's saying, just turn to God and he'll bless you with so much stuff. You'll have money, you'll have houses, you'll have cars, you'll have great things. You'll go to great restaurants, uh, you know, have great friends uh, and all this kind of stuff. You know, um, it, it just, but, it, but it's, nothing's new under the sun. I mean, there's guys on TV and, and certain churches that will do the same thing. You know, if you just do this, you know, you can have that. If you just, you know, give $5,000 to this church or this organization, God's going to bless you a hundredfold, and you'll get $500,000. You know, they appeal to the greed of man, sadly. You know, you do this, you're going to get that. And there is some verses in the Scripture that talk about that. It's certainly... God dealt with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament that way, and one way he did deal with them. You know, there was blessings associated materially with doing his will and doing good. But again, completely wrong in the sense that, you know, it just appeals to people's greeds. They sell God for a profit. And what a sin. Uh, that is, you know, you, uh, you know, you do this, and I've run into people, and I'm sure you have, that say, you know what, uh, I, I've, you know, given, uh, you know, to God, and I expect, you know, to win the lottery or get this or something happening because I did this, and you know, there's just a lot of, well, not a lot, but there are a number of people today, and especially those on TV, sadly, that'll that that teach kind of the same thing, and it's just not right. And selling God for a profit. Um, again, he's told him, Job, if you just humble yourself, confess your sins, and things will turn around. But, but Job didn't do any of those things. That, not that he wasn't sinless again, but he didn't do any things to deserve this kind of punishment. As a matter of fact, God called him righteous. Well, chapter 23. So Job is answering Eliaphaz's accusations that he's the biggest sinner. And that he only needs to turn to God and he will bless him. And so verse 1 says, Then Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter, and my hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. You know, Job doesn't even directly address these guys. You know, he's, he's still, his biggest complaint is he doesn't understand why all this is happening and where uh, God is in all this. He feels detached from the Lord, which is his biggest heartache and problem. He just feels like he's detached, you know, that the Lord's not answering him. He doesn't have that communion that he felt like he once had. And, and, and uh, again, he, he just kind of ignores what he, Eliaphaz has to say here and at first and just says, you know, Lord, everything is so terrible to me. If I can only just talk to you and, and hear what you had to say, if you would only answer why, we could find ourselves in this place too, can't we? You know, uh, I, I know if I just could sit down 
Lord, and, and talk to you and explain to you how I feel and what's going on and what the circumstances, then you would understand um, what's going on and, and, and then, you know, you would make things right um, or, you know, then I'll, if you just explain why, then I can have, you know, more patience through all this. I can, uh, you know, I'll have more of a peace through all this. And we can find ourselves like that too. Um, I, I think it's, you know, some, some, some place we can find ourselves a number of times in our, in our Christian walk. You know, when we, when we were getting close to the end, you know, we're going through Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and, and uh, Nehemiah and Esther, and then we were coming up to Job. You know, at first I was really thinking in the weeks leading up to it that we would just kind of do an overview of Job because, quite frankly, you know, in a lot of ways it kind of seems like it just drones on. You know, it just kind of goes on and goes on and it goes on. And, you know, that's the way I felt. I felt like, you know, I don't want to lose everybody and all the going on and on and on, uh, you know. Um, but, uh, and that's what I was thinking. But as we got into it and as it got closer to really getting ready for it, you know, I, I was reminded how important the details are, are, are for us to know and understand in this book. You know, we, we need to know, we need to fall back on these things. We, we run into these things, these problems and difficulties and heartaches and questions come our way, have come our way, will come our way, and, and we just, uh, you know, need to be reminded of all this and the detail that God chooses to give us. And um, remember, Job just wants to know why. And when we have the why question, uh, and it's not generally answered uh, by by the Lord, and He just chooses not to most of the time. So when we can't have the why is this going on answered, then we fall back on what we do know about Him, and we know about who He is and what He's done, and the love and the work and the promises that He's made to us. And so we we know we stick firm on those, and know one day the Lord's gonna, you know reveal or we'll see his hands working through this or we'll see you know the result of that and maybe even some explanation on this side of eternity if not you know uh, we'll understand fully one day so we just fall back on what we what we do know and not um you know stuck be stuck on the why question uh there's this quote uh, well, actually, this little story I thought was kind of interesting when it comes down to the why question. It's just from an army manual, tent pegs, aluminum, nine inch, and it gives a, a number, you know, a, a ID number for each peg here. It said, must be painted orange. The bright color provides an easy means of locating the pegs under various lights and climate conditions during field use. When bright orange pegs are used, they must be driven into the ground completely out of sight. <laughs> that was pretty hilarious too, you know. You paint them really bright orange so that you can, you know, you can see them, but then the next thing it tells you to bury them where you can't see them. And so it's kind of like, well, why? And, you know, we can feel that way sometimes too, but why? You know, but why? Not in the humorous side on this, but why are things going this way? 
And, and the great thing about the book of Job is that, you know, the Lord doesn't answer the why, but it reveals himself, as we'll see, in a greater way. Well, let's go on. Verse 6. He would contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward I cannot perceive him. And when he works on the left, I cannot behold him, and when he turns on the right, I cannot see him. So again, you know, Job ask the why, and he somewhat, you know, uh, says, you know, but I know if I could just speak to him, he would understand. Now, you know, again, it's, it, it's the thinking that God doesn't know and understand and see, and we have to explain it to him. But we know we don't have to do that. But somehow, when things aren't working out the way we think they should work out, you know, we think we need to do that, rather than just say, Lord, you know everything, so you're allowing this to happen. I still don't understand why. Uh, and, but, but again, you know everything. And of course, we're, we're told we can pour out our heart to him. Uh, and, and Job, you know, lifts up his head a little bit here. He says, you know, I can't see what he's doing, but I know he's there, right? I, I know he's working. If he's here or there, but I, I, can't, uh, I, I can't see him, but I know he's working. Because remember, the Lord is spirit and not flesh, um, you know, though we can't see him, we know he's there. And we can see his hand and how he affects things all around us. Uh, but yes, we don't perceive his actions physically or his doing those actions physically, I should say. You know, just going through, reading, you know, the Bible and just finishing up, you know, or going through Romans actually. And, you know, as was thinking about this in Romans chapter 1, you know, there's just a great testimony that everybody has and should have and does have a great witness of the reality and the power and, you know, a sense of who God is. You know, Romans 1 really talks about that. They, it's evident by so many different things that we see, every person can see, yes, the the remote tribesmen on some Pacific island somewhere or deep in the jungle of Africa or wherever in the Antarctic or whatever they might be, there's enough for the guy living in metropolitan New York City or the guy living on the South Pacific island somewhere, um, you, you know, enough to know that he's out there and see his hand and see his work and know that he's there. And, uh, you know, Job understands that. And then he kind of lifts his head up above the clouds here in verse 10. He says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. This, you know, in, in a kind of a sideways way, he's, you know, he's answering his three friends here. And this is really what bothered these guys so much, is this three verses, or these two verses right here, uh, three verses, I'm sorry, 10 through 12. He, he, he this is the... Um, 
why they couldn't see past anything that Job said. Because, you know, he, he kept saying, no, I haven't done any wrong. Not that he's not sinless, but I haven't done these things. You know, judgment isn't befalling me because of sins and secret sins and bad attitudes and treating people wrong and, and doing it in secret or doing it however. I know that's not the reason. And these guys couldn't get out of it. It has to be the reason. But Job says, I know when this test is over, I will be pure like refined gold, you know, gold refined in the fire to get the impurities out of, and, and like a pure gold. Um, you know, and he, he says, this is profitable for me. I won't let this turn me aside from him. You, you know, I, I think, just think about that for a second. Could, could we say this in times of serious trial? Like Job did here, yeah, he's had his low points and he's had some some a few high points through that. But you know, could we say that of our serious trials? No, I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to be better because of it. And uh, I, I know doing what's right is profitable for me. It pays in the end. Again, I think we talked about last time. If I stop the average people coming out of Target, let's say, and I ask them, does it pay to do good? I think, you know, you get a lot of different answers with that. You know, some people would say, yeah, it does, but not always. And some people would say, you know what, I haven't seen it pay dividends. And some people will say, yeah, I, you know, I, I've witnessed the fact that, you know, it does, it does, yes, it, it does pay to be, to do things right. Um, and, and, you know, we know that to be true, certainly. We know that it, it does uh, certainly have an effect, but it doesn't have necessarily that immediate effect that most people that really don't know the Lord want to have. If I, you know, give the homeless guy after I leave Target and I talk to you for a few minutes about doing good and I see this homeless guy and I give him five bucks, you know, I expect some good to come back to me, you know, immediately or at least within a, you know, a few days, a, a week or two or something like that. And when it doesn't happen, that's when people start, well, I don't know if all this is going to work out, if it's worth it or this or that. But that's not what Job's heart is, right? He says, when this is over, I know it's going to be better and I know it's profitable for me. You know, uh, again, one of the things we have to remember is not only is this the right attitude we should have, but probably one of the most important things we need to remember is that God has always working for our eternal good. We tend to be always working for our temporal good. You know, okay, if I do this, this will set me up for this time or years or I'll be, you know, uh, I won't have this pressure or this problem. I can make this go away. It'll be a little easier. It'll be a little nicer. And so we're kind of always working in that direction. Our thoughts are, are generally there when God's saying, listen, this is going to disappear. It's going to be over in a heartbeat, in a blink of an eye. What I'm really preparing and working in your heart and life is eternity that's never going to end. And it's just important that we set our, our minds that way and remember you know, working towards our eternal good, not our temporal good. And then Job finished, says, you know, his words are more important than food. 
I love that in verse 12. More important than food. Again, can we say that? Well, verse 13, But he is unique, and who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore I am terrified at his presence. And when I consider this, I'm afraid of him. For God made my heart weak, and the Almighty terrifies me, because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness, and he did not hide deep darkness from my face. And again, Job, you know, sticks his head above the clouds and realizes the good, and he kind of sinks back down again, and, you know, he says, I I just, I can't see a way out of where I am now. You know, I just feel like, again, God's not, um, you know, I, I just feel like I can't connect with him, that things are just you know, uh, are, are too much. And then, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, if I go before him, it'll be just over, too overwhelming. And so he kind of sinks down uh, again there. And, and then um, he continues in chapter 24 and says this, Since times are not hidden from the Almighty, why do those who know him see not his days? Some remove landmarks. They seize flocks violently and feed on them. Now he's talking about, again, the success of the, you know, uh, of the wicked people. They drive away uh, the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox as a pledge. They push the needy off the road and the poor of the lane, uh, a land, I'm sorry, are forced to hide. Verse 5 says, indeed, like wild donkeys in the desert, they go out to their work searching for food. The wilderness yields food for them and for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and glean in the vineyard of the wicked. They spend the night naked without clothing. They have no covering in the cold. They are wet with showers of the mountains and huddle around the rocks for want of shelter. Some snatch the fatherless from the beast and take a pledge from the poor. They cause the poor to go naked without clothing. And they take away the sheaves from the hungry. They press out oil within their walls. They tread wine presses, yet suffer thirst. The dying groan in the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out. Yet God does not charge them with wrong. So again here, Job is speaking about the injustices that he sees in the world. It's something that we deal with again today. Why does God... A good God allow bad things and wicked, uh, you know, ha- to happen, and wicked people it seems to get away with it. You know, we can uh, we can wonder about that. You know, why do they seem to get away with it? Why do these evil, wicked leaders of nation d- draw people into wars and and fighting over, you know, giving them more power and more, you know more power on the world stage. And you think about the situation in, in the Ukraine and with Russia or in North Korea or, you know, uh, China. And, uh, you know, it, it goes around. Of course, it's, it's true in all nations to a certain degree. Um, you know, people just wanting power and craving power. But, you know, there's some that are just so evil and, and their, their purposes are just so self-serving and power and feeding that ego monster and the power monster and the 
wanting to do more and then they you know I, I think it just kind of North Korea just kind of pops into my mind you know three generations of the Kim dynasty over there and just it seems like one's worse than the the next one's worse than the one before it and uh, you know starving uh, millions of people and then yet pouring money into missiles and wanting to you know show the world how t- you know just Lord, why does that go on for three generations, right? Why does this person, you know, do this and pass these laws? I I think of our state of California. Why do we get these governors and these people in the assembly up there and the Senate and all that kind of, you know, and we can look at that way and we can wonder too. And why does it seem that they get away with it and that people try to do good and they nothing seems to happen to them, or they even lose out, it seems. And and that's going to be the case until we look at the eternal picture. Again, remember Psalm 73 talks about that. You know, God is going to make everything right in the right time. He chooses when the right time is, whether it's going to be at the end of this world spinning and taking care of it all, or somewhere in the middle, uh, he is. But he's going to take care of it. And yes, sometimes it seems like they get away with much, but in, in light of eternity, they won't. And we'll look at that a little bit more at the end of chapter 25 here in a minute. Well, verse 13, There are those who rebel against the light. They do not know its way nor abide in its paths. The murderer rises with the light and he kills the poor and the needy. In the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me. And he disguises his face. In the dark they break into houses, which they have marked for themselves in the daytime. They do not know the light. You know, these are just people that are plotting to do evil and do wrong and, you know, and take advantage or just, you know, you know, sleeping around, uh, committing adultery, this kind of, I think they'll get away with it. You know, I went up to the Oakland office some time ago and, you know, one of the first things that the people in the office said to me, oh, where'd you park, Dylan? Where'd you park? And I go, oh, I just parked around the street. Oh, man, did you, did, you, did you unlock your car? I go, wait, I'm in Oakland. Unlock my car? Oh, yeah. They'll break the windows. He said, you know, we leave our cars unlocked. We leave our windows down. So I opened the glove box, you know, and the center console so they can see there's nothing valuable in my car because I've had my windows broken three times. And, you know, if they see there's nothing worth stealing there, they'll move on. Because nobody stops them. And one other, other one told me, I don't park on that side because I had my catalytic converter stole out of my car a couple of times. I, I mean, you know, people casing and ripping it off and, and taking advantage of people. You know how thieves go through the obituary, um, you know, and, and looking at people that are having a hard time and, you know, broken hearts and trying to take advantage of them. People, you know, casing a place that we say today to rob it or steal it. They're checking it out, figuring out everything works so they can go in and do all this. Because they think they can get away with it. They think they can get away with it. And that's what Job is saying here. Uh, you know, they, they do these things. They're emboldened to do these things. And certainly our society is emboldened a lot of them uh, more and more. I was just talking to a, a gentleman um, yesterday and, uh, you know, his 
business got broken into. They broke one of the work trucks. He said, I had a bunch of plywood uh, stacked up here and, you know, good plywood. And he said they, they took, you know, 30 sheets of plywood down back to the Pajaro River where his property kind of gets close to. And, you know, doing all this stuff, he said, I, I called the police and reported all this stuff. And they say, I will probably send somebody out in two or three weeks, two or three weeks. I, I mean, you know, they just don't care about stuff. And I don't blame the police so much not to get too far off the subject. It's really the, the district attorneys that, that prosecute it. They just say they won't prosecute people like that anymore. So the police go, why should I arrest them, get all this evidence, come up with all this stuff, make a great case, and the DA looks at it and says, no, we're not going to do it. And it goes in the trash, right? You know, you, you can't blame the police for that. It, it's ridiculously discouraging. And, and, and that's what happens, and people think they're going to get away with it, and they think they're going to do it. You know, no problem, because, you know, who's going to stop me? And But now Job's going to speak to what should happen to those wicked and those who are taking advantage of people. Uh, verse 17 says, For the morning is the same to them as the shadow of death. If someone recognizes them, they are in terrors of the shadow of death. They should be swift on the face of the waters. Their portion should be cursed in the earth, so that no one would turn into the way of their vineyards. As drought and heat consumes the snow waters, so the grave consumes those who have sinned. The womb should forget him. The worm should feed swiftly on him, and he should be remembered no more. And the wickedness should be broken like a tree, for he preys on the barren who do not bear and does no good for the widow. So again, these things should happen to those who do evil. But it doesn't always happen in the time that we can see or that we can uh, observe. And so Job finishes up with this. He says, But God draws the mighty away with his power. He rises up and no man is sure of life. He gives them security and they rely on it. Yet his eyes are on their ways. They are exalted for a little while, then they are gone. They are brought low. They are taken out of the way like all others. They dry out like the heads of grain. Verse 25 says, Now if it is not so, who will prove me a liar and make my speech worth nothing? Again, God seems to know what's going on, Job says, and knows what they do, yet there still seems to be that these guys have a good time and a success in getting away with it. And again, Job states that everyone will eventually die like everybody else. Um, you know, eventually there's going to be a price to be paid, but it may not ever be seen or known on this side of eternity. You guys tell me if it's different. You guys see the same thing I do, Job would say to his friends here. You see all that. And yet, you know, you know that. It doesn't always happen that way, even though you guys are saying all this. Well, let's finish up here in chapter 25, and it's very short. Uh, it's Bildad's last speech. It's the shortest. It's the last of his three friends are going to speak. Um, they're going to be straightened out and be brought back up at the end of this book. The Lord's going to make sure of that. But, you know, this is the last of the three friends. Another person will come in in chapter 32, and we'll talk about him when we get there. But 
you know, this is the last of the three friends speaking out. And then, of course, the next six chapters, Job will, next week, we'll look at those and he'll just keep speaking on. Um, and so let's finish up with Bildad here. It's very short. First one, then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him. He makes peace in his high places. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? You know, Bildad is answering Job and saying, Nope, God is in control. Yeah, yes, his power is beyond understanding, which is true. Uh, you know, even Jesus said that he called down 10,000 angels to help him if it was needed. And, and again, we know that, you know, Revelation 5 talks about the millions uh, that are around his, his throne. And yes, God is the, is the ultimate power, absolutely, here. Um, and, and so why do you think someone, or, or, or God being like that, wouldn't use all that power and strength and dominion and, and fearfulness over people, why wouldn't he, he use that when he has so much of that at his disposal? You know, it's kind of what they asked Jesus. It's like, you know, uh, you know, Jesus, do you want to take care of this problem? James and John come to him, you know. They're, they're just being mean to you. They're rejecting you. Man, this is messed up. They're wrong. They rejected us. You sent us over there. They don't want to hear it. So let's just, just blast them. Right? And, and, you know, Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. And, and you know, this is, this is not what I came to do. Yes, I could blast them, but it's not what I came to do. And, of course, you know, when he's uh, being arrested and, and, you know, do something, defend yourself. You know, you're like, kind of just giving into this. Jesus said, I could call down 10,000 angels. And we know, you know, we went through it not too long ago, that one angel killed 186,000 crack troops of the Assyrian army in one, you know, one bit, one minute probably. Can you imagine what 10,000 could do? So he has that power. He has all those millions around. He's the absolute power. Of course he's going to do something about it. It's not like he can't do it. That's what Bildad says. So obviously he does it. Verse 4 says, How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? So now he goes on. Of course God takes care of it. He's got his He's got all the power that he needs. And Job, how can you keep droning on about you being righteous? No one is. But again, Job never said he was sinless. Only that he didn't do anything that caused all this to happen like he was being accused of. You know, let me just, as we you know, close this out here, you know, one of the important things that we need to see through all this, and one of the important lessons is that we need to be careful on judging people and the situation and the circumstances. You know, we just, we're really not called to do that. These guys just jumped right in because here's the problem, here's what you did, because here's what's happening to you. Based on what's happening to you, this is what this is, what ha this is what you did because this is what we understand how this works and this is what it all is and you fit into this nice formula here. But you see, you know, we're told very clearly in the New Testament just to be careful not to judge. 
You know, Jesus is saying in the Gospel of John, Judge not, lest you be judged. With what measures you meet, it shall be met to you again. So, you know, you, you make this, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, or you should be doing this, or this or that, or something. We say that, and God says, okay, well, if you're making that the standard for them, or saying that to them, or say, then, then okay, then that's the standard I'm going to hold you to. Do you want to be held to that standard? You're holding them to that standard, and I'm going to allow you to do that, but I'm going to hold you to what you put on them. So you're, you, know, you don't want to be a person that says and not does. And he says it's better not to do that. As, as a matter of fact, you know, we're called to love one another. We are called to love one another. And let's put it up there, John 13. And, uh, you know, uh, again, sorry, I... I didn't, I missed all this Job. I'm sorry, I meant to do John 37. Let's go back to here. So John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he finishes up, By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so again, if we have this love, you know, towards one another, um, you know, it, it, we're, we're known by that. And what we're called to do is not like, okay, you know, go out and talk to them about, you know, this and their sins. And, okay, this is happening to them. So you go figure out what's going on. And this needs to be changed. And they're not doing this. And they should be doing this. And, man, this is what I know. And they're not, you know, and having all that stuff. You know, we're just called to love one another. Love one another. Yes, we encourage ourselves in good deeds. Yes, we encourage one another to do what's right. Yes, we do all that. But that's all with the heart of love and not, look at me, I'm more spiritual because I don't watch TV. You know, you met those people before. You know, they, oh, you go into their house and, yeah, we don't have a TV. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, it's just a distraction, this and that. We'd rather, you know, and all that kind of, you know, spiritual stuff that they like to throw at you. And that's good and fine for them. Nobody's going to be critical of that. But, the, you know, the look is anybody that doesn't have that, you know, isn't quite up to par, isn't as spiritual. You know, we do this and we don't do that. Or, you know, this is what we do and, you know, people should be doing that. We're not called to do that. We're called to love one another. You know, we love one another and we leave the judgment to the Lord. Let Him deal with it. If we just love, then everything, you know, is going to be good, He said. And if you just start judging, well, then you're going to start heading down the wrong direction and it's not a place I have for you. This is what He, you know, um, He says, Jesus says in John 12 here, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. You know, even Jesus said, listen, I'm not coming to, you know, you lousy sinner this, and you, you know, you know, you cheating tax collector, and you lousy Roman soldiers who are taking advantage of people, and this and that. You know, I'm not here to point all that out. I'm here to save it. Now, there is going to be judgment to come, and it's going to be, it's going to happen, but that's not the point where we are right now. It will happen, but we're called to love. And even Jesus said, I've come to save it. There will be judgment, and who's going to judge? Again, remember, 
First uh, Peter, that they will have to face God, who stand ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Yep, one day people are going to have to stand before God and, and face Him for what they do, what they said, how they act, what they did with the gospel. And of course, you know, the, the prime example of that is in Revelation chapter 20, and it says, you know, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which are written in the books. So one day there's going to be a count. There's a ledger. Things are written down. They're recorded. They're in place. And one day God's going to judge and take care of all that. It is going to happen. But that's not the day we're living in. And these guys um, didn't do this at all with Job. But we should. We know better than Job's three friends. We know better. We know the heart of the Lord. We know more. We are called to love. You know, we are called to uh, show uh, uh, the love of the Heavenly Father has shown us. And yes, we encourage one another. Yes, we do that. But it's all in the heart of, hey, we're all in this together. Uh, you know, I, I just want uh, to, you know, not worry about all these things and try to get everything right and, you know, your life and point these things out and correct all this thing. You know, I got my own, you know, things <laughs> I got to get going. I, I don't have time for anybody else, let alone, you know, anything past me. We're, we're just called to love. And yes, when we see something wrong and, you know, the Lord puts it on our heart and, we see somebody out of love, we, we say, hey, you know, if you continue to do that, and it's just going to grieve the heart of the Lord, and it's just the Father, you know, and it's going to have an effect on you and your family and, and this, and, you know, and the Holy Spirit's you know, already convicting a person of that, and we're just the voice that comes along to move them into that place, you know, where they'll be blessed and, and have the peace. Not coming down to here's a problem, here's the solution, and we're here to fix it. You know, generally, those people just think too much of themselves, and we can think too much of our opinion or what we know, or just lay it on the table and just cut people down like, like these guys did. For what purpose? What does it serve? Again, we know these things, you know, and uh, we know He's going to work everything out. Let's just be faithful to, to not be this way and to love people as the Lord's called us to. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time and for your word tonight as we look into these things, Lord. We thank you for the examples and the verses and the lessons of what not to and how to, um, Father, through these things. Because they're very real situations and thinking that happen today just as they happened back then. And, and there's no difference in our attitudes and our personalities and, and and in people, the way we think and, and do and act and live, um, you know, nothing's new in that sense. And so, Father, uh, we're thankful that we, you've shown us so much more and given us so much more. And Lord, help us to now, uh, you know, live that and go out and use that and uh, shine that light brightly and show the love uh, abundantly, Father, uh, in these days, in these times that we have. Everything's going to work out in the end. It always will. It always has. It always will because you're going to make sure of that. And all we have to do is do our part in the interim until you choose to take us home.
So we, help, uh, we ask that you'd help us to be those people. And we ask all this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.